0: All you beautiful people, and welcome to the glorious and the mundane podcast. I'm your host, Kristy Knuckles. I have loved coming around these As for Me declarations together as a way of centering our hearts in the middle of the ebb and flow of summer. I know that for many of you, at least if you live in the South, school is about to start, <laughs> so it's going to start feeling not so much like summer anymore. I mean, we've still got the heat, but it's funny, isn't it, that we've come to think of the season of summer as vacation from the school year. And somehow in our minds, it's like, at least for me, August gets lumped in with the fall season in some ways, or at least in terms of rhythms and schedules kicking back in. But my hope is that these last few episodes of this series will meet you in the sweetest way as we experience this natural shift and transition. Well, I'm happy to say that I wrote this podcast while sitting in my new screen and porch that I told you about last episode. Yes, that's right. We're finally able to use the space that we've been working so hard to create. I mean, We didn't work so hard to create the screen and porch, but you know, I told you all the other things we were doing around the carpenters that were out there making it happen. But to get to break in that new space, I was so privileged to get to host a group of friends this past week to celebrate a milestone birthday for our friend Miss Shaley, who I mentioned last week and who I have had as a guest on this podcast. We had talked about maybe getting away with a group of her friends, but once we started talking about who she would invite, we were realized that though she's from Texas, she actually has such a solid group of friends here in the Nashville area that she not only wanted to spend time with, but she wanted many of those friends to get to meet each other. We had a few of her friends actually fly in or drive in from out of town, and that was fun because Keeper's Branch got to turn into an Airbnb for a couple of nights, and we had just what felt like a retreat, a way together here. We brought in food for all the meals, and I had lots of help with that, with friends who love Michele as much as I do. Thank you, Jody, And thank you, Jenny. And it was such a beautiful time of rest. It almost felt like camp in a way, you know, like four women sharing one bathroom, that kind of thing. <laughs> Lots of hair dryers going in the distance. It was actually really, really sweet. But it felt extra fun to use the basement and get to be in this green porch and even use the swim spa as part of our little retreat space. The deck is so tucked in back there, and it backs up to an actual forest. So even in the afternoons, not only do the birds sing, But the crickets chirp, which I enjoyed as I was riding, I can actually also feel a breeze blowing through here and there, and it was just giving me life to be out there. But being back there on the porch, it's also making me aware again of just the little creatures that are always lurking around Keeper's Branch. As I was sitting there riding, I was watching a horned beetle who was truly the size of the palm of my hand. And I know just, I know, but he was struggling just like tiny beetles do when they get stuck on their backs. But he was gigantic. And I needed to know if he flew. That was the main thing. I wanted to help him get back on his feet. But I was like, if I help him get back on his feet, is he gonna like make a really loud noise and fly towards me? So I googled real quick, can horned beetles fly or bite? (laughs) I mean, I knew I could probably stay clear of him biting me, but, you know, as long as it didn't fly at me when I tried to flip him over. When it became apparent to me that he was harmless, I got our little pool net and I went over and I helped him turn over so that he could be on his way. And he did. It took him a second. He was kind of like, what just happened? But he sat there and finally he just kind of went on his way. But helping little creatures be on their way reminds me of earlier this spring when I was riding on the front porch. We were very much still under construction, and I had a deadline. I remember I was working on, and I was rapidly reaching that deadline. And as I was sitting there, these birds behind me were making a terrible racket. It was a sound that you just don't often hear birds make. The only way I know how to describe it is screeching. They were like actually screeching at each other as if they were panicking and exasperated. So I decided either I need to get up and go over there and see what the ruckus is, or I just need to go inside. But it was a very nice spring day and I didn't want to go inside. So I decided to just go over there, completely determined to talk to these birds and ask them what was going on, you know, like Cinderella would. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did. I went over to them, and they were all sitting on the ledge of the outer staircase that leads out to our recording studio from the house. And I could see them tilting their little heads and just screeching and screaming at each other. And I said to them, what is it? Why are you making this racket? And they got quiet, and they tilted their heads and looked at me and just stared, it occurred to me in that moment that I have often seen a bird's nest in the giant 10-foot tall bush that was right in front of me. It was kind of more like a tree, but it's like a giant bush. And I thought maybe something was going on with the nest. So I look into the bush straight on, and as I do, I'm probably three feet away or so, maybe less, from a snake that's wrapped around the base of that tree right at eye level with me. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I started talking to them and telling them, okay, I understand your plight. I looked high and low to try to see if there was a nest in the bush and I could not see one. I'm hoping that means that the snake was on the hunt for something that actually maybe wasn't there this spring. I just truly hope that it wasn't already in his belly. (laughs) I studied the snake's head and tail. He did not look poisonous to me. That's what I've learned to do. Poisonous snakes, they have more of a triangular-shaped head. And most venomous snakes also have like interesting color patterns. They're actually really beautiful. Whereas the fellow I was looking at in the bush had more of just a round head, and he was mainly black with maybe just some yellow stripes. So I went in to get Nathan to have him double check. And then our carpenter, who is a 70-year-old man that was working on the deck, he came over. We had him triple check for us, and we decided just to let this snake be. We've learned that you don't want to mess with the ecosystem around you unless you just have to, like the rattlesnake moment. (laughs) We needed to intervene. But if there's not reason to intervene, we've learned to just leave it be because everything around us has an order and a rhythm to it. I did read after the rattlesnake incident that if a rattlesnake is coming that close to your house and infringing on your property, you most likely have a bit of a rodent problem. So then it made me research, what causes an overabundance of rodents? And then again, you look at the food source of what the rodents are coming after around your house. Well, one thing I learned that I was doing that I needed to stop doing immediately was that Often, instead of throwing away our food scraps, I would throw them from the top back deck, (laughs) the back deck that was rotted. I would risk my life a lot of times to just go back there and chunk food because, you know, I thought I was feeding the birds and the deer and all the sweet little animals. I was feeding animals, but I was feeding rodents and attracting way too many of them, probably. And that's why we maybe were having a snake problem, (laughs) Anyway, more adventures from Keeper's Branch. Our next little creature adventure is actually we're starting over with chicken keeping this month. After giving two of my broody chickens away, I don't know if you remember, I started with six. I gave two of those, the lavender chickens, back to my friend Megan, who had given me some in the beginning, But those were the chickens that were broody. And I think I explained to you before that broody chickens basically start sitting on the eggs. And if you don't grab the eggs first thing in the morning, you're going to have hot eggs by the afternoon. So hot that we would actually have to throw them out. So (laughs) my friend Megan still has those two lavender hens that I gave her back. And then I had two that actually just died separately of natural causes. And then I'm sad to say that a mama fox got the other two early this spring. She was making her rounds to some of the other neighbor coops I found out. And she must have had a pack of puppies somewhere because she was on the hunt and mine were two that she got a hold of. I'm so sad. But we have nine baby chicks coming in in just a few weeks, and I need to get ready for it. This breed is actually called Brahma. Brahma's? And I'm excited to meet them. Apparently, they are one of the largest but most gentle breeds. And they even have fur on their feet. So yeah, we've got nine Brahma Mamas coming. And I'm sure I'll post some pics for you to see. So be watching for that. And I'm sure I'll tell you about all those adventures later. I think all of this talk of creation flows actually really well into our psalm today. We'll be in Psalm 19, which is a psalm that I've personally Loved for years. In my study Bible, the title says, The Law of the Lord is Perfect. And of course, it reminds me of another favorite psalm that we've been through together, Psalm 119. But I want to read it over us slowly. And I want to pray even now Holy Spirit, come. Would you use this time that we have set apart to sharpen us and equip us? We invite you now to come and speak and make known to us the treasure that is your word. We believe that your word is perfect and true and alive and active, and we thank you that it is at our very fingertips right now, that it's within our ears' reach, that it's within our hearts' reach today. God, we confess that we don't want or need self-help today. We need you. We need your word. We resist the temptation to rely on what the world offers us. And we push through and lean in once again, as my dear friend Michele reminded me of this week, Jeremiah six sixteen. Lord, we stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. And we walk in it. We want to find rest for our souls. Yes, Lord, we ask for the old godly way today. And we want to walk in it and travel its path that we will find rest today for our souls in Jesus' name. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. My rock and my redeemer. So, the first part of this beautiful passage is speaking of the eloquent heavens, as my ESB study Bible puts it. It's describing how creation is full of revelation, revelation that reveals the glory of God, his power, his wisdom, his might, his order, his worthiness of honor and worship. Of course, the poet in me loves that David is likening the heavens and even the path of the sun to a voice that speaks truth. The handiwork of God pours out speech day to day, and even night to night, it reveals knowledge, and it says that it's a language that is heard, a message that is being received. But who's going to attend to that voice and that message? Paul actually quotes this passage in Psalm 19 and Romans 10:18 and he's speaking of Israel and preaching about believing in our hearts by faith rather than works alone and confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and he adds that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ and he says but I ask have they not heard and he continues indeed they have and here's the quotation marks, speaking again of revelation and creation. He's quoting Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He's basically saying they've heard, they know. And in another place in Romans, Paul says something equally as sobering. Romans 1:18 through 23, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I think this is sobering when you set this up next to, say, 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow. To fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, this is God's heart, the heart of a father. But holding it up to Psalm 19 today, there's also a very clear indication that he is day to day and night to night revealing himself to the world. He's making himself known and has been since the beginning of creation. I looked up verse two in the original language where it says, day to day pours out speech, speaking of the heavens, declaring the glory of God. And that phrase literally pours out speech means to flow or spring up or even belch out. It literally said belch. And then that word speech, the word for it is promise. The heavens literally flow or spring up or belch out promise. Isn't that beautiful? That's right. The word speech there is the word omer, and it means promise. How beautiful. I was actually looking at Psalm 115 today, and I thought it was such a sharp contrast to our passage today about the heavens pouring forth promise over us. This is Psalm 115 verses 4 through 8, and it's actually talking about the futility of idols. What a contrast here to even the handiwork of God having a mouth that pours out speech, a life-changing, life-altering promise over us day to day if we're willing to attend to it. I told you earlier that this psalm reminds me, especially in the verses in this next section of Psalm 119, you might remember that we used the commentary of Christopher Ashe when we studied Psalm 119 together, and I remembered what he had said about the law of the Lord. And I remembered that he wanted us to not separate the law from the word promise. He said that the singer or the psalmist actually periodically substitutes the word law with promise. He tells us that the word promise means something said. And that we can know that the context often indicates that the something is said with the direction of grace. God's promise speaks of His steadfast love and His salvation. It's a rescue word. It speaks first not of what I must do for Him, but of what He has pledged to do for me. It speaks of promise, therefore it speaks of Christ. And in Christ, all the promises of God find their yes. That's 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. As I read this next section again, I love that the order of creation, the heavens and the earth, even the path of the sun, they're not just for our enjoyment in terms of beauty and recreation and restoration. But they truly are sending out a message to the ends of the earth. They're uttering out promise over the world so that all can see and know. I know that I've told you before about a night in the woods with my brother, and I think there were about three other students from our youth group one night. We were attending a fall retreat. But after worship, the five of us just walked out into the woods, into the moonlight, I don't really remember why or what led us to just walk out there. But as you can imagine, with no streetlights anywhere, when we looked up to the heavens that night, the stars were like nothing we had ever seen before. In fact, as we looked up, the five of us, literally, I remember it, we became speechless. You know, five teenagers standing out in the woods at night, looking at the stars And we're just silent. We stood there in the quiet for a while. And then I think it was my brother who first took off his shoes. And then I took off mine. And around the circle, we just stood there barefoot in the woods on that crisp fall night. And one by one, we began to pray. And really, I remember just cry out to God. He was revealing himself to us that night. I remember it was the first time that I specifically was aware of His glory, of His majesty, His magnitude. And I remember weeping uncontrollably along with the others. The heavens poured out promise over us that night, like words spoken over our lives in the direction of grace and the promise of Christ who had made a way for us to come before a holy God that night. And cry out to him. I'll never forget it. It has marked me for the rest of my life. And you think of just the simplicity that we just looked up that night. The heavens poured out promise and revelation over us. This was the beginning of me truly understanding the weight of this next section. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. My friend Jody has such a gift with preparing food and making the presentation of food look amazing. And she brought some honey still on the honeycomb to Michelle's birthday gathering this past week so that we could have it on our charcuterie board. But in the shuffle, she and I both forgot about the honeycomb (laughs) and it didn't make it on the boards for dinner. But oh my goodness, what a sweet right before bed snack it was that night for a few of us around the kitchen island. And then Nathan and I kept on enjoying it for the next few days after. But there's just nothing sweeter than honey straight from the honeycomb, if you've never had it, you got to find it. You got to try it. My friend Brooke had also brought us some peaches from the peach truck here in Nashville. And all week, Nathan and I had been dipping those peaches in that honeycomb along with some little wheat crackers. And it's just the kind of sweetness and goodness where you just close your eyes with each bite, or at least I did. <laughs> and you just almost can't believe how naturally yummy and sweet and good it is. So it's just making my heart happy right now that David is comparing the rules of the Lord with the sweetness and the drippings of a honeycomb. He says that they are much to be desired, even more than gold. That's right, even in this section where we see the words law, rules, precepts, testimony, commandment, they're each coupled with these words like sweetness, reviving, sure and right, rejoicing, pure, enlightening the eyes. We see the words clean, enduring, and true. There's something in this for us, isn't there? I want to point out again, that as we look at the law of God, we are sitting in the new covenant promise of Jesus's finished work. And I remember too that Christopher Ashe talked about the need to sing these psalms, even the ones that come around the law of God. But I love that he said, the right music to go with the lyrics of this psalm is the music of grace and the melodies of Christ. When we sing it, we must tie the law to the promises. We must never divorce the statutes from the Savior, and we must never cut off the commandments from Christ. And with this unique and beautiful perspective, we sing out that God's rules revive us. His way works. It's sure, and it makes us wise. His precepts rejoice our heart. His commandments enlighten our eyes. And with our eyes being the window to our soul, we're purified. The fear of the Lord is clean. That just means fair or pure. And it's the kind that endures forever. His rules are righteous. There's no fault in them. And in time, we do begin to desire them. And the more we experience that God's way works, the more we desire God's way. As you well know, this doesn't mean we'll have the absence of hardship or trial. No, that's just it. It's even in the midst of hardship and trial, our hearts find joy that's unexplainable. In this last section, the psalmist is experiencing confession and consecration, like we've talked about before many times. He's essentially saying, Lord, as I look upon you once more, your greatness, your glory, the fact that you made a path for the sun and nothing's hidden from its heat— I see once again that the heavens you have made are pouring out revelation so much that humans can know and perceive that you are real and you are here. So I'm humbled once again. I surrender to you. Seems to be his posture. Like, have your way in me. He goes on, let me be properly warned by your rules and let me remember that there is a reward in keeping him. This alone deserves a pause and a ponder. Not only is there a warning, there's a reward. It's a both and. And then he leans in more. He wants to be declared innocent of any secret sin, even unintentional sin. He wants it all out in the open. And then he says, keep me also from presumptuous sin, the prideful, arrogant kind that's intentional and thought out. He's saying, keep me from it, Lord. This reminded me of how important it is to remember that there's different kinds of sin. And wow, we've been in Romans a lot today, but Romans 14, 23, it kind of blows our idea of sin out of the water a bit when Paul says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Like wowzers, that is a really tough one. But Paul is actually addressing a situation where some believers were super caught up in the argument of what was right or wrong to eat or drink. And instead of labeling for them what was right or wrong to eat or drink, he just basically says, he takes sin all the way back to the very root so that these believers could see that this is about conviction and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, it's just going to look different for each of us in terms of what we do and don't feel the freedom to do. And so he says, whatever is not done from faith, and I believe what he's meaning there is just when we're not trusting God and we do something out of a place of not trusting Him, it's sin. Meaning if God has given you a conviction in your heart about something that you're not supposed to do or partake in and you do it anyway, that's sin. And I would point that to myself as well. And he goes on and on about how we're going to cover a lot of ground in terms of what might seem right or wrong to each of us. But his point is, as believers, we have the Spirit of God in us, and we need to listen to His promptings, His guidance, His leading, when it comes to where we stand on things, and we need to obey Him. I'll give you a real-life example in my own life, once again, glorious in the mundane style. I'm thinking of a time recently when someone really hurt my feelings, and that hurt actually spiked a bit of anger inside of me. Not anger that was shown, but just anger that I kept inside. When I think back on the situation and I look at it just black and white, I really was wronged. So in terms of the actual incident, I wasn't at fault. However, the agitation that I've talked about with you before, it was on stun. (laughs) My friend used the word consternation to describe it. Just a kind of shock where you feel flustered about it and you can't really operate like yourself in the moment. And of course, I knew that the fact that there was anger in me present that I was going to need to take that to Jesus and get that resolved. So I went there with the Lord. I asked Him, where did I go wrong? I want to know. Why the intense agitation, a.k.a. what do you have for me in this? Where are you working in my life? I'm sorry that I let this rattle me like it did. Will you forgive me, Lord? And he began to speak to me and show me. The consternation deep down popped up because what the person did made me doubt something about myself, something that I know to be true and God-given about myself. But I doubted it in the moment. And I let it fluster me, and I proceeded without faith in that moment to the point of even choosing to not lead in that moment in the way that I know that I should have looking back. There are so many necessary nuances to walking with God because it's personal, isn't it? And we all have our struggles, don't we? We each have distinct ways that we need to trust the Lord. Yes, there's some overlap, and overall there is foundational truth that doesn't move or shift. But developing an actual relationship with God, truly knowing Him and Him knowing you, where we take things like this, where David's just wanting all of it to be laid out before the Lord, unintentional and intentional. He's like, God, I want to be blameless in your side. I want to be free of all of this. It's going to look different for all of us, like beautifully different for all of us, because God is such a personal God. And in that moment of confession with the Lord, do you think I felt shame? No, you know I didn't. But think about the ways in which He might reveal His heart to you and I in a myriad of ways because of our distinct relationship with Him. Yes, He's that personal. But I do know this, you and I both will be parented well by our Father in a moment like that. When we come to Him and we say, I'm sorry, can I start over? What do I need to do to make this right? I think about our kids when they were little, especially, and they would know our disappointment about their behavior. In fact, you parents know that sometimes just disappointment is so much stronger than punishment in the moment. And there's just times where our kids are aware that they've hurt our hearts. And throughout their lives, our wording around confession and asking for forgiveness was, do you want to start over? And I'll never forget the hugs and tenderness that would come out of that. They did want to start over. They wanted to make things be right again and feel right again. They wanted our hearts to be pleased with them again. So when they'd have a blow up or when we would have a blow up, that's what we would say to each other. Can I start over? Will you forgive me? Can we wash the slate clean here? It's beautiful to think that even the confession of sin before Jesus can cultivate an intimacy with him and others when we have the humility to just go there. This doesn't mean that we should just sin anytime we want, that it gives us like a free pass to do what we want, and then we can just go snuggle with Jesus. (laughs) That's even more Romans. I mean, not the snuggle with Jesus part, but the going on sinning because grace abounds. No, it's more that when we're aware of our sin, we become more aware of God's heart. King David himself, he gives us this language all throughout the Psalms. It's so beautiful. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Give me clean hands and a pure heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Our enemy would love for sin to bring on shame and isolation. And he often succeeds with that. But I love how David gives us this language of true love here where everything is out in the open with the Lord. In today's Psalm in verse 13, he says, Do not let sin have dominion over me. I want to be blameless and pure in your sight. And what makes us blameless and pure in his sight? I should say who makes us blameless and pure in his sight? Jesus. He's where we get to run. And I believe that we're meant to run to Him often, all throughout our day. This isn't legalism. This is like building a relationship. This is going back to God. We're invited to come before Him often, as often as we need to, and ask Him for clean hands and a pure heart, asking Him where He's working in us, letting even our faults and failures afford us time in His presence where we're still and quieted contented and humbled and even let the awareness of sin and even the ways we typically sin let it begin to shape our habits and our longings may it always make us keenly aware of our father's heart for us and the fact that he's looking upon our hearts today rather than on what we might be doing for him or for the kingdom today he cares about our heart and we should care about his I'm reminded of a quote by David Wilkerson as we close. He said, The law is not intended for the person whose obedience springs out of a desire to please God. He is not concerned about what is legal or illegal, what is permitted or forbidden. He has only one criterion. What does my Lord desire? You can lay out all the law before him, all the rules and regulations, and he will say, you don't have to tell me not to do those things. I wouldn't do anything to hurt my father. I love him. I've already forsaken the world and its lust to go after him whom my heart desires. Show me what he wants, not just what he forbids. I want his heart's desire to become my actions. I want to know his mind and obey it. Sure, I love his law, but that's for the lawless. For those who haven't come into a knowledge of intimacy with Christ, I have another law at work in my heart. It's the law of love, one that says, Lord, what can I do to please you today? It sounds a lot like David in this very last verse, and it definitely feels like our as for me declaration for the day. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to You. Today I'm going to do something just a little bit different for our response time. I'm just going to actually let the music play out and let you sit with the Lord and ask Him where He's working in you today. Maybe you had a blow up like the one I shared about, and it's just kind of obvious right away where you need to go, but maybe it's not obvious, and you might want to just spend time with the Lord and asking Him to just make it obvious to you today. Lord, as we look upon Your rules and Your way, we're reminded that You sent Christ, Your Son, as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, and we get to approach You today covered by Jesus, because He did give His life for us. We lay down our lives today and surrender. And we pray, Lord, that even repentance today um, would bring resolution and restoration to our souls. Let it lead us today to where you're working in us. Let it be awareness and mindfulness for us today, Holy Spirit, of how you are working in the inner workings of our heart. We want to lay everything before you. As for me, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.